you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Have you ever found yourself victimized by another person? I remember when our house was broken into when we were young married people. The criminal kicked in our side door when we were out of town, grabbed our television, and began to exit the house. Thankfully, my neighbor was sitting on his porch, yelled at the guy who promptly set down the TV very nicely in our carport and ran for the hills. All in all, that's not a very scary victim story, is it? But it did shake us up to arrive home with our TV sitting outside and the door to our house partially destroyed. It made us want to move as soon as possible. Now, most of us, if we've lived long enough, can probably recount a story about being a victim. That is the true definition of victim, a person who has suffered physical or emotional harm, property damage, or economic loss as a result of a crime. But then there are those who've been victimized at a whole other level, a victim of a rape or other sexual assault, a victim of childhood physical or sexual abuse, a victim of attempted murder, a victim of kidnapping or a violent home invasion, a victim of war or terrorism, a victim of all sorts of theft that ruin a person financially, and the list goes on. By God's grace, not everyone is a victim of those sorts of criminal acts, yet many people are every day, and they need our love, help, and compassion. Getting through the crisis that has victimized the person takes time. Many people can move on at some point and flourish again depending on what happened to them. But then there are those who get stuck in what is often referred to as a victim mentality. Just about everything bad that happens in my life is the result of other people's actions against me. This victim mentality is a very difficult state of mind to break. For some, you can sort of understand how being victimized, even victimized repeatedly, has led to a victim mentality. But other people really haven't been hurt that much at all or have ever really been a true victim, and they somehow have operated for a long time as a victim. Sometimes, as we'll talk about later, a victim mentality starts early in life in the dynamics of family life. So in this podcast, we need to dig into the heart of the matter of the victim mentality to deal with our own temptation as well as understand and help another with this difficult problem of the mind. Being a victim is one thing. Becoming stuck as a perpetual victim is something that a Christian should not experience by God's gracious work in his or her life. Helen constantly blames other people for the fact that she is miserable. Her philosophy of life could be summed up in the words, life is against me. Helen is typically described by other people as being cynical or pessimistic. She seems to think other people are purposely trying to hurt her. 
Even the smallest of problems are seen as catastrophes and blown out of proportion. In his workplace, Greg believes he's the only one being targeted for poor treatment. Even when things in his life are going fairly well, he seems to find something to complain about. Greg describes himself as often feeling powerless and unable to cope effectively with problems or life in general. In his mind, everyone is better off than he is. He takes little responsibility for the things that happen in his life since they are pretty much all other people's fault. So here we have Helen and Greg who have developed victim mentalities. For the record, let's give a good definition of this problem. Having a victim mentality means you blame your challenges in life on others around you, even if you can't prove their negative actions. You might also blame many things on circumstances, which you see as always unfair. Listen to this description from one psychotherapy website, quote, If you have a victim mentality, you will see your entire life through a perspective that things constantly happen to you. Victimization is thus a combination of seeing most things in life as negative, beyond your control, and as something you should be given sympathy for experiencing as you deserve better. At its heart, a victim mentality is actually a way to avoid taking any responsibility for yourself or your life. By believing you have no power, then you don't have to take action. Unquote. Okay, with Greg and Helen in mind then, as well as these definitions and descriptions, let's put together a biblical and practical understanding of this victim mentality disorder and seek ways to help change it. First, understand the benefits of a victim mentality. You may hear these descriptions and say, why would anyone want to have an ongoing victim mentality? It's so pessimistic, negative, defensive, and depressing. That's very true. But the reality is that there are certain perks to thinking this way, some twisted benefits that only encourage people to keep thinking this way. So here's my list. First, not having to take responsibility for anything. That's pretty attractive to many people today, isn't it? If everyone else is to blame, then I never have to confront the fact that I may actually be the problem. Second, other people may lavish you with attention. There's no doubt that a victim mentality may repel some people, but many people tend to give attention to the self-pityer, to the pessimist, or to the one who is always a victim of something or someone else. Third, the perk of other people feeling sorry for you. Now, who doesn't like to be felt sorry for? That can become quite addicting. Being a victim will always bring the possibility of someone giving you the pity you think you deserve. Next, other people are less likely to criticize you. After all, it's not your fault. It's never your fault. You always do the right thing, but others don't. Then, the perk of you have the right to complain. The victim mentality says that my complaints are justified. Sadly, for many people, complaining often feels good. It seems to let off steam and make me feel better. It really doesn't, but this can be perceived as a benefit. Then there's the perk that you are more likely to get what you want. Again, victims naturally get attention. 
even if not truly victimized, you can parlay it into something you want to gain. Then there's the benefit of you feel interesting because you get to tell people all of your stories. One of the hallmarks of the victim mentality is storytelling, telling tales of woes of how life and people are mistreating you. You get to be the main character in your own dramatic TV series. Who doesn't like telling others how bad you have it? Then there's the perk of you don't have to feel bored because there's too much drama going on in your life. In other words, this benefit keeps life interesting. As much as it may sound like the victim mentality is frustrated with bad things continuing to happen, it keeps life from being dull. Again, the drama is addicting. And then finally, you get to avoid and bypass anger because you're too busy feeling sad. Yes, in one sense, a person with a victim mentality is very angry. But it is usually covered over with grief, sadness, misery, and depression. So this mentality will say that they aren't angry when they are simply avoiding anger. So it's important to understand these benefits in order to recognize the difficulty in giving up a victim mentality. It becomes an identity that can actually feel good. Then consider this second principle. The victim mentality is rooted in self-pity. We all want to be pitied when we feel miserable. It all starts when we are very young, skin our first knee, fall and bump our heads. Our parents lovingly give us pity because we're quite pitiful. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But then instead of people feeling sorry for us, we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. That's the essence of self-pity, a, a really useless and destructive attitude and emotion. Someone once said, all self-pity is rooted in people taking themselves too seriously. That's a good way to think about it. We tend to pity ourselves not just because other people aren't pitying us enough, but because we think we deserve more and better. So do you see how self-pity is the starting point for a more extensive victim mentality? What begins simply as feeling sad about something bad happening moves from self-complaining and grumbling to a deep-seated victimization. What that means is that we need to confront our self-pitying thoughts quickly. We can't allow them to fester and to deepen into wider anger and bitterness. Self-pity stays focused on the past, builds up a record of hurts, and yes, takes self and life way too seriously. Unfortunately, people often mistake self-pity for some sort of low self-esteem. The truth is that self-pity is rooted in self-love. Think about it this way. Why does a person take self so serious that they must pity themselves? Because they love themselves way too much. We'll talk more about pride and self-focus a little bit later. The solution for self-pity is not being pitied more by others but confessing the sin to God and seeking the truth about the situation. People stuck in self-pity believe lots of lies about life, self, and even God. But the bottom line is they must learn to get their eyes off self. Then thirdly, there's the problem of passivity. By definition, a victim has had something bad happen to him. He has not done something to someone else. 
The perpetrator is the aggressor. The victim is passive. Remember that Greg describes himself as powerless, unable to cope with people or even life itself. Those are words of passivity. No power to make any changes or to keep from being victimized over and over again. So why do people end up being passive in this life? Well, if we go back to the first principle about benefits, it certainly is easier. Just as being passive physically is easier than actively working and exercising, it is easier to sit back and respond rather than be aggressive and take charge of your life. Passivity is also rooted in fear and anxiety, the fear of confronting others, of speaking up, of defending self, of making things right. When a person sees others as always stronger, as more in control, as more powerful, then a passive approach to people and situations occur. This should not be for the Christian. Even though we're called to be humble and submissive and kind and compassionate, these things come from a position of strength in Christ, not one of passivity. Yes, we are to love our enemies and do good to those who use and abuse us. But again, this is not the same as being a doormat or being run over or being a victim of what anyone wants to do to us. Love and doing good to others is active, not passive. It responds to being hurt with a strong compassion and even confrontation at times. Passivity, on the other hand, just sits back, just takes it and sees no way out. No response will help in any way. As long as a person stays passive, the aggressors in this world will take charge. The person is communicating that he can be controlled and will not fight back. Now, don't get me wrong, the biblical solution to passivity is not aggression. It is godly activity, responding to the hurt and pain in a way that glorifies God and responds righteously to the person or situation at hand. Pop psychology will simply tell a person to be assertive and to take control, to fight back. But that advice will potentially lead the victim to become a victimizer of someone else. There are plenty of times where we read of Jesus being passive when people fought him, made false accusations against him, and persecuted him. But this outward passivity doesn't mean that he was passive emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. He was extremely active in loving his enemies and doing good to those who abused him. But Jesus was also aggressive at times, speaking the truth in love, standing for what was right, pushing back against those who were doing what was wrong. But this was not from some selfish aggression or some sort of male bravado. It, too, was from a heart of love, justice, and compassion for others. So the bottom line is that a person with a victim mentality must see and confess and repent of his passivity and learn godly activities like prayer, forgiveness, acts of kindness, speaking truth and love, standing for justice, and seeking God's glory first above all else. Well, now let's add to our basic principles of handling the victim mentality biblically. Here's the fourth one. Recognize the impulse to avoid responsibility. If I come home one night after work and see that my house was burglarized, 
Am I responsible as a victim of that crime? No, the thief was responsible, right? But what if I had mistakenly left all the doors and windows unlocked? Would you now say I should assume some responsibility? Well, that's a little bit trickier. Just because I left my doors unlocked doesn't mean I was welcoming a burglar. Yet, depending on my neighborhood, it could be somewhat irresponsible of me. The problem with the victim mentality is that it almost always immediately assumes that the other person is always 100% responsible for my problem. That's how Helen thinks. Everything that happens in her life is blamed on someone else. She holds herself blameless. Other people are intentionally trying to hurt her. For example, she is the one always mistreated by her two sisters. As much as she tries to be kind to them and reach out to them, she is always rejected. When they say something ugly to her, Helen immediately gets angry and walks out of the room during a family gathering. When asked if she knows of anything she may have done lately or even in the past to have her sisters treat her this way, she can't think of anything. She has always tried to work on the relationship. Nothing seems to work, though. Now, it certainly is possible that Helen is the most virtuous member of her family. But her inability to accept even some responsibility indicates a victim mentality, as well as her poor response when she is treated badly. As Christians, we are always called to take responsibility for our own lives, our own choices, our own responses. Not be over-responsible for things that are not our responsibility or irresponsible for things that are. Now, sometimes the person with the victim mentality actually thinks she deserves everything bad that happens to her. But this is also not the same as taking responsibility. Being willing to look at each event, each situation, each relationship, and first looking at the log in our own eyes will help keep our minds from creating a victim status. Taking this sort of ownership means suspecting yourself first before inspecting another person's life. Personal suspicion is much better than being suspicious of everyone else around you. Avoiding personal responsibility is the hallmark of the immature, foolish child. Don't we typically spend a lot of our time as parents teaching our children to take responsibility for their actions? Unfortunately, some never seem to learn this basic character skill, which allows them to constantly play the victim card. Taking responsibility is the only path to peace and joy in life. And then consider this fifth principle, the victim's need for drama. If you ask most people, they would probably say they don't care for much drama in their lives. Yet many of these same people love to watch TV dramas or reality shows. Of course, that's drama in other people's lives, right? Unfortunately, people with victim mentalities also typically enjoy personal drama, especially the type that comes with a lot of heartache. They not only feed on that drama, but they want to share it with other people. Helen actually lights up when she tells stories of the way people treat her, as well as recounting the troubles she has had in her life. When she says that life is always against her, she has plenty of stories to back it up. Now, if you are a friend of someone like Helen, you will have a hard time listening to her tales of woe. It's one thing to tell a story of bad things happening or someone hurting us. It's quite another to tell it with no responsibility. 
If you try to push back on Helen or ask her what she did wrong in the situation, she'll probably shut down the story altogether. You would have messed up her story. So let's go back to this idea of enjoying drama. Why can that become addicting? Well, for one thing, normal life can be quite boring. People stuck in a victim mentality can often feel alone and isolated, struggling with relationships. Sadly, being victimized by other people in situations ends up being better than the mundane existence most of us have. Yes, in a way, it becomes the best way to get some attention. In the end, people can make dramatic things out of things not so dramatic, at least not to most people. What becomes the drama is how the person reacts to the situation. In other words, a person like Helen can shed many tears, throw a fit, and act totally indignant to nearly anything people do to her. She truly makes mountains out of molehills. So a person with a victim mentality needs to be weaned off the drama and learn to find joy and to be thankful for the non-drama. He or she also needs to stop being shocked and stunned and deeply hurt by everything that happens around her. Of course, this requires a renewing of the mind that sees God at work in all our situations instead of being an orphan in all our pain. Which leads us to this next principle, the need to deal with all the anger and bitterness. Both Greg and Helen routinely deny being angry, and yet the people around them see them as deeply bitter people. So how do they see themselves? Typically, they see themselves as simply hurt or in pain. They say things like, I'm not angry, I'm just hurt. No, it didn't make me mad, I'm just shocked and stunned. You see, when you admit to being angry or bitter, you're actually beginning to take responsibility. Victims, though, get hurt. They don't get angry. Now, I'm not saying that people don't feel pain or hurt when other people do wrong things against them. We all do. But saying, I'm just hurt, minimizes, denies, or simply ignores the anger inside. And the anger may actually be justified at first. Admitting anger and bitterness says that I have a problem to deal with now that this thing has happened. I alone must stay righteous in my anger and make sure I don't sin in my anger. I must work with the Spirit to keep from becoming deeply bitter. Go back to season one and listen again to my podcast on anger and bitterness. The biblical principles outlined there are necessary for the person battling a victim mentality. Again, the first step of taking responsibility and changing this mentality is admitting to the anger. If there is true victimization, why wouldn't you be angry? And then there's this next principle, the principle of pride and self-centeredness that's involved. As we put together the components of a victim mentality, we must see the prideful heart that is at the person's core. Constantly viewing self as a victim exposes the fact that the focus is totally on self. The perpetual victim not only blames everyone else for all his or her problems, but gives little or no time to caring for those same people. After all, how can you love people that you think are always out to hurt you? The pride is often rooted in the belief that life's not fair or in envy, jealousy, and covetousness. 
pride always says that I deserve better than I'm getting. So recovering from a victim mentality requires a selfless humility that is impossible to get to without Jesus Christ. Only his power and love can bring us to our knees. He must dethrone self from the throne of our hearts. Pride will often mask itself as low self-esteem or, as I said earlier, self-pity. If you Google answers to solving a victim mentality, you'll read advice about loving self more or raising your self-esteem or taking positive steps to take care of self. These things are the exact opposite of a biblical approach to this ingrained mental habit. Dying to self, loving God, and loving others is the route out of ongoing victimhood. Loving self only encourages victimization. It is the love of self and the pride of life that says everyone else is wrong and I am right. Helping a person with a victim mentality to see their pride is a tough thing to do. The various sufferings of life are meant to humble them, but instead they make them even more self-consumed. Pray that the Lord will use life to bring real humility. If a person is to break out of a victim mentality, then a changing of the mind has to occur. This difficult problem requires a total mind renewal. Fundamentally, the person's thought life must change on three levels. Thoughts of God, thoughts of life, and thoughts of other people. Then ultimately, the wrong view of self as victim has to be dealt with. So let's talk about those three thoughts. First, changing thoughts about God. Is God not sovereign over all things, so random bad things keep happening to me? Is God sovereign, yet he's really not totally powerful to keep the worst things from happening? Or is God sovereign and all-powerful, but not loving and gracious enough to keep all those bad things from happening to me? Or does God want to have bad things happening to me because he wants to punish me? Or is God not really involved in my life at all? What we believe about God really matters. Our thoughts about God in times of suffering can easily lead to a victim mentality if they aren't true. So the truth must be known, embraced, and believed about God. There is no way to have a victim mentality when we truly believe that God is holy, sovereign, involved, all-powerful, and loving and gracious. We are never doomed to a life of perpetual victimization even when God does ordain bad things to happen to us. Because ultimately, he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So a change of mind comes from holding on to all the truths about God shown clearly to us in God's word. Then the person with the victim mentality has to change thoughts about life. Again, this person has a totally passive approach to life. Life is happening to Helen and Greg, and it's kicking their butts. Certainly, there's truth to the understanding that life happens to us at some level. But this is a deficient way to think about the moments and events of our days. All through God's word, we are instructed to walk, to obey, to redeem the time, to make the most of every opportunity. The Bible is replete with action words that show us the way to respond to the things that are happening in our life. 
So thinking needs to change about life. I think so many people today are filled with anxiety because they see life as out of control and just bringing more bad things their way. It's like the way I think of my favorite sports teams. They can never win enough for my taste. I am a victim of tough breaks, bad plays, poor managerial decisions, and some awful game strategies. If we look at life this way, then we'll never take responsibility for what is happening. Of course, our ability to control what happens in totality is out of reach. And in actuality, that's a very good thing. When we have the right view of God, then we get life back into perspective. My life is to be lived for the glory of God, not simply for my ease and pleasure. Then finally, the victim mentality is remedied by changing thoughts about people. In order to stay a victim, one must always see people as perpetrators, as evil or heartless or foolish or oppressive all the time. Again, to be clear, we all have people in our lives who hurt us, and we hurt others as well. We are all sinners needing the grace of God. But when the universal view of people is thoroughly negative, then people become two-dimensional caricatures from a soap opera. We are just much more complicated than that. So the person with the victim mentality must get a much more biblical and robust view of people. People made in the image of God, sinners, weak, yet redeemable, sometimes hurting but often able in Christ to be loving and gracious and kind. Yet to think highly of others is risky because they can let us down too. So this takes great faith and confidence in God, not people. Ultimately, the thoughts we have about people is that we are called to love them, serve them, and respond biblically to all people all the time. That may require loving our enemies. That may require being hurt at times. But we must always focus on our response and our part in the process, taking responsibility in all ways. To just sit back and claim eternal victimhood does not glorify God and just delays our overall sanctification as God's people. Moving towards a victor's view rather than a victim mentality puts our identity squarely in Christ rather than in our own stubborn, prideful self. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.